Good morning, church. Good morning, Ruby. All right. As I said, the reading is from Mark 10, verse 46 to 52. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Thank you, Ruby, very much indeed. Uh, I've forgotten my glasses, of course, which is no help to anybody. Good. Well, do um, please keep your Bibles open, or if you haven't got a Bible, your cell phone or your iPad or your laptop or whatever it is, do have that passage open in front of you, and I'll pray and ask for the Lord's help. Let's pray. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you alone are able to open the eyes of the blind. As we come to your word this morning, please do that great work among us here so that we may see things as they really are. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, Yvonne Edwards works today as a high-level PA in a London-based financial services firm. Uh, She's also a Christian, and uh, this is how she describes her discipleship. Quote, uh, Every day is an onward journey of allowing Jesus to be master of my heart. I try to be humble and gentle and demonstrate my Christian faith, living it out and being consistent in the workplace. Well, that's a wonderful testimony, but Yvonne's life was not always that way. For many years... Yvonne Edwards wanted absolutely nothing whatever to do with God. She was, uh, she describes herself as an angry atheist. Uh, when anybody started talking about God, she, she felt a physical reaction, a violent, angry, internal reaction. And uh, her angry atheism uh, went hand in hand with a life devoted to excess of every kind and in particular excessive consumption of alcohol. 
and uh, by the time she was 30 she was a confirmed alcoholic. Uh, Married with two children and living in a beautiful home, uh, she tried everything that she could to break her addiction. But she always relapsed and uh, she realised over time that her life was spinning out of control. Eventually, uh, despairing of ever being able to change, she attempted to commit suicide and she was only saved when a neighbour called round unexpectedly and found her lying unconscious on the bathroom floor. Not knowing where else to turn, uh, her husband checked her into a rehab clinic and uh, Yvonne says that she wasn't really expecting anything terribly special to happen. But one afternoon in her room she opened the bedside drawer hoping to find uh, a magazine to sort of distract her and take her mind off her painful circumstances. There were no magazines. Instead there was a Gideon's Bible. And Yvonne can't explain to this day why she did it but she opened the Bible at random and she began to read one of the Gospels and she describes what happened next. Quote, Suddenly I was overwhelmed with a sense of my own sinfulness before a holy God. As I read the Gospel, I realised my whole life had been lived in rebellion, running away from God. He had given me the gift of life and health and family and home, and I had done all but destroy it whilst ignoring him. This was my debt before God. But... I also saw Jesus' love and forgiveness. And at the age of 35, for the first time, I bowed my head to something bigger than me and my ego with its pride and arrogance. I surrendered my will and my life to God. Immediately, I had a strong sense of God's presence with me. It was as real as if I could see him. Now that was 25 years ago, but from that very moment, uh, Yvonne was completely delivered from her alcohol addiction and she's been following Jesus faithfully ever since. Now this morning we're looking at just seven verses in Mark's Gospel. It's a very short section, but these seven verses are a window into what saving faith is really all about. They show us what it looks like when someone sees God for who he really is. When they begin to see something of his tenderness, something of his majesty, something of his compassion. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem and Bartimaeus the blind beggar calls out for mercy. And the reason that Mark has included this little story in his book is because Bartimaeus sees better than everyone else. As one writer marvellously puts it, Bartimaeus lacks eyesight, but he has insight. And that's exactly right. Uh, Throughout his earthly ministry, most of the people that Jesus was dealing with were blind spiritually. He was constantly surrounded by them. It was one of the things I think that made his life on earth so difficult. And in a sense nothing has changed. Uh, I guess correcting 
physical eyesight is not such a big problem these days. Whenever I go for my annual visit to the optician, I'm constantly amazed by the technology they have at their disposal, which enables them to prescribe exactly the right lenses so that I can see you clearly and you're not just fuzzy outlines. So correcting physical eyesight is not the problem it once was. But, but spiritual blindness is a huge problem, and it's everywhere. Christians have to face the fact that we're living in a city, uh, in a country, in a world, where friends and relatives look at Christianity with varying degrees of boredom, suspicion, anger, or arrogance. And scripture says that the reason for that is that they are spiritually blind. They, they simply can't see the beauty and the greatness of Christ. So here in Mark chapter 10, there is the clearest possible lesson that you can have eyesight, but not insight. Nobody travelling with Jesus really knows who he is at this point or what he's come to do. Um, all the followers that are there with him have got no real understanding. But blind Bartimaeus gets who Jesus is. He gets what he's come to do and God opens his spiritual eyes and then as a bonus, he opens his physical eyes as well. And Mark has recorded this particular story for us so that we will see more clearly what true discipleship is all about. So we're going to look at the passage under just two headings this morning. The first is seeing clearly, and the second is following nearly. Not very original, but there we are. Firstly, seeing clearly. Look at verse 46. Uh, Jesus and the disciples and a large crowd have come to Jericho, and this is just a few days before Jesus is going to die and then rise. I don't want us to read too much into the significance of these events taking place at Jericho, but at the same time, let us not forget that in the Old Testament, Jericho was the entry point into the Promised Land. Uh, We learned about that a couple of years ago, didn't we, when we were studying the book of Joshua. And we could say, I think, that Jesus here is at the entry point into his own victory. Uh, By which I mean that everything that the promised land in the Old Testament was pointing to is going to be realised by the victory that Jesus is going to win by his death and resurrection. And here is Bartimaeus beside the road. Uh, Interestingly, He's the only person in Matthew, Mark and Luke that Jesus heals whose name is recorded. I wonder if you knew that. And I take it that the reason for that is that Mark's readers knew him. Uh, We can't say this for certain, but Bartimaeus may have been a member of Mark's church. In any event, it seems that the first readers of Mark's Gospel knew Bartimaeus and they could go and ask him about this particular event. 
Has he always been blind beside the road? I don't think so. Because literally in verse 51 it says, I want to see again. That's what Bartimaeus says, I want to see again. And in verse 52 it says quite literally, he was able to see again. So here is Bartimaeus and perhaps he had been able to see until a certain age, but now he's blind. Normally he'd be begging for money, but when he hears that Jesus is coming, he's begging for mercy. What he says in verse 47 I think is is absolutely stunning. If you get hold of these words this morning, you will leave this building walking on air. Look at what he says. This blind man by the side of the road calls out, Jesus. Now what's unusual about that? Well notice that the crowd have just said to him that this is Jesus of Nazareth. And that actually is a slightly insulting term for Jesus. It's a bit like saying that Jesus, the local boy, is coming past. In other words, no one terribly special. There's no honour in the phrase Jesus of Nazareth. Technically correct, but perhaps slightly insulting. So Bartimaeus drops the Nazareth and addresses him simply as Jesus. And then he says, Jesus, son of David. Now that is the only time you will find that phrase in Mark's Gospel. And basically it means, you're the king we've been waiting for. So the Old Testament said that God would send a descendant from King David who would sit on the throne forever. By the time we get to this particular event in the Gospel of Mark, Israel have already been waiting for that descendant for a thousand years. And though he's blind by the side of the road, Bartimaeus says to Jesus, it's you. So Bartimaeus understands he has no eyesight, but he has insight. And then he says, Have mercy on me. And you might say again, well Simon, that doesn't really sound very special. But you need to know that so far in Mark's Gospel, no one has linked the Messiah with mercy. No one's made that connection. Peter knew that Jesus was the Messiah, but Peter assumed his mission was political. Others don't even get that he's the Messiah. But Bartimaeus does understand that Jesus, the son of David, is the bringer of mercy. So these are loaded words. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Because, you see, Bartimaeus is not saying, "Um, I want to use you for for what I can get out of you. No, he's honouring Jesus and saying, I want what is needed in order for me to become your follower. That's what he's saying. If you've been with us in the series, you'll know that Mark's purpose in the Gospel is that the readers of this book will learn two things. They'll learn who Jesus is, that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and they'll learn why he came, which was to die. 
And if you get those two things, well, basically, you've understood Mark's Gospel. And here, in this particular encounter, we have an example of clear-sighted faith. The surprise, I think, is that it's not one of the disciples, it's not one of the religious leaders, it's not one of the political elite. No, it's just blind Bartimaeus by the side of the road. He sees what no one else can see. One of the more effective Christian apologists today is an American called Greg Kukul, K-O-U-K-L. And he goes around the United States to the various university campuses speaking uh, about Jesus. His most popular book um, is called The Story of Reality. And in that book he says something which is absolutely true but actually rather shocking. He says that mercy is not just short-term. Even Jesus, he says, wasn't interested in merely short-term mercy. This is how he puts it. He says, social justice is not the gospel. It was not Jesus' message. It was not why he came. His real message was far more radical. In fact, says Greg Kukul, you can eliminate everything Jesus said in his life about the poor and social justice and you will still not undermine his main message. Now that is a very striking comment, particularly for us here in South Africa. And here is Bartimaeus. And he might as well have said, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Because he knows precisely who he's talking to and precisely why he's come. And that prayer brings the full transforming power of God into Bartimaeus' life. Now from time to time here at uh, St Barnabas we run the Christianity Explored course. It is an excellent introduction to the Christian faith. But what do we want people to do at the end of the course? What we don't want them to do is to go home saying, well, that was terribly interesting. Uh, the talks are marvellous and I've taken plenty of notes. We don't want them to be doing that. Uh, equally, we don't want them to be going home saying, aha, I understand God wants me to be good. No, we want them to complete the Christianity Explored course and then go home and get down on their knees and say, Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Because you see, that's the beginning of fellowship. That's the beginning of family. That's the beginning of heaven. Well, you'll notice in verse 48 that they tell Bartimaeus to shut up. We know, don't we, that Jesus often told people to be quiet when they called out his name. Because, of course, most of them were troublemakers. And he also told them to be quiet because they didn't understand the cross and that Jesus had come to die on the cross because that was still in the future. So Jesus told those people to be quiet. But Bartimaeus is not a troublemaker. And the cross, well, the cross is now only a few days away. And so in verse 49, Jesus says, call him. And they call him over. And all of a sudden, Bartimaeus acts and behaves like a man who's got a future. 
How do we know that? Well, because in verse 50, he throws his cloak away. He throws his cloak aside. Now, while he was a blind beggar, uh, the cloak was his bed, and it was also his only means of shelter. But Bartimaeus is now effectively saying, all of that's finished, and I'm about to start a new life. And he comes over and Jesus says to him, what do you want me to do for you? I want you to pay very close attention here, because that is exactly the same question that Jesus had asked of James and John in the passage we looked at last week. And I hope you remember that when Jesus asked James and John that question, they said, we want glory. We want the best seats in the house. We want power. But Bartimaeus says something totally different. He says, I'd like to be able to see so that I can follow you. And so that's what happens. Uh, in verse 52, he gets his eyesight and he begins to follow Jesus on the road. The phrase along the road is significant because it's not any old road. No, it's the road that leads to the cross. It's going to be a costly road for the disciples, of course, supremely costly for Jesus, but costly for all disciples of Jesus. And yet Bartimaeus wants to follow Jesus on the road that is costly. He's heard about the cost. What is the cost? Let's remind ourselves, well, it's denying self, it's taking up the cross, and it's being a servant. So the costs of following Jesus are very real. Bartimaeus has heard all about them, and yet he still wants to follow Jesus on that costly road. I think I've told some of you before that... Um, in 1898, a man wrote a book about an ocean liner uh, that was built to make the journey across the Atlantic from England to New York. It was a work of fiction, and the author's name was Morgan Robertson. The title of the book is Futility. And uh, this ocean liner was considered to be indestructible and absolutely unsinkable. But uh, on an April evening in this work of fiction, it struck an iceberg and it sank, and it only had enough lifeboats on board for half the passengers. And the name of the ship in this totally fictional book, written 14 years before the Titanic actually sank, the name of the ship was the Titan. Is that not astonishing? Well, as you know, people around the world are fascinated by the story of the Titanic. And uh, a couple of years ago, the exhibition came here to South Africa. And the tagline in the advertisement was, the exhibition where you get to be one of the passengers. I don't know about you, but I think I could have thought of a rather more attractive tagline than that. Uh, I think I could have imagined a much more effective invitation than that. But here is this bizarre invitation from Jesus. Bartimaeus hears the call to suffer and to serve. And knowing that, he still wants to follow Christ. And that's because he sees clearly. Do you see clearly? 
Now let's think rather more briefly about following nearly. Now just notice this in the text. This is rather interesting. Bartimaeus starts out beside the road. Could you see that word in your text? That's what it says in verse 46. Now please notice uh, in verse 52 that Bartimaeus is on the road. So he goes, doesn't he, from begging beside the road to following Jesus on the road. And that, of course, is a wonderful picture of what happens every single time someone becomes a follower of Jesus. No one else around Jesus is thinking like Bartimaeus. It's very striking, this. The most unlikely man of all, surrounded by the disciples of Jesus, surrounded by the religious elite, no doubt, in that large company of people, Bartimaeus is the only man who gets Jesus. And Jesus gives him physical sight, and Bartimaeus begins to follow Jesus on the road. And at last, Jesus has a friend who understands who he really is. I hope you know that to recognise Jesus as the Messiah takes a miracle. Some of you will be able to testify that you actually didn't care two hoots who Jesus was until God opened your eyes. That's certainly how it was for me. You might even have been as hostile as Yvonne Edwards before her conversion. Because, you see, it takes a miracle for anybody to see who Jesus is, the Messiah, the Christ, God in human form. But as soon as you can see who Jesus is, it's a bit like the sun coming up in the morning. Because when the sun comes up in the morning, what do you do? You switch the lights off in the house because you can see perfectly clearly. And in the same way, when somebody sees the greatness of Christ, they stop talking about the idea that there are all kinds of different roads to God. They stop thinking like that because the sun has come up. And now they can see this magnificent, merciful, majestic king. But it does take a miracle. Now, unfortunately today, there are lots and lots of Christians who want to avoid talking about the cross. They'd rather go straight from Christ to the crown. In fact, there are whole churches like that, where the the songs and the sermons, they're all about total victory now. But friends, the New Testament makes it absolutely clear that when God opens your eyes to see who Jesus Christ really is, that will lead you on the road that leads first to the cross and only later to the crown. Now, of course, the disciples will eventually learn that the cross is essential and it's unavoidable. And so Peter, who you remember tried to talk Jesus out of dying back in chapter 8, would eventually have his own eyes opened. So he says in his first letter, Christ bore our sins in his body on the tree, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring you to God. That's the cross. Eventually Peter got the message. And he goes on to say in that same letter, therefore, Follow in his steps. And if you suffer for being a Christian, 
Don't be ashamed. Commit yourself to him and continue to do good. In other words, stay on the road following Jesus. Now friends, I don't know what it looks like for you to walk on the road with Christ. Uh, We're all very different. We've all got our own temptations. Uh, We all wrestle with our own personal inward sin. We've all got our own battles to fight. And the opposition that we face looks different for every one of us. But we sometimes talk, don't we, about following Christ as if it were no different from following a soccer team or following a rugby team. I mean, I guess there are some people who follow their soccer team or rugby team in a costly way. Perhaps under normal circumstances they fly around the country going to all of their games, I don't know. But we have to say that whilst all disciples who are on the road following Jesus are blessed and are very privileged, it is costly and it is difficult. And I'm not there referring to the difficulties that everybody has to deal with, whether that's having a bad back or a difficult relative for Christmas. I'm talking about the difficulties that come with walking the way that Jesus Christ wants you to walk day after day. So here's the question. Here's the question. How do you do that when you're looking after a very needy relative who's driving you crazy? How do you do that when you're trying to be faithful at work and it's very, very costly? How do you do that when a temptation comes along that is far bigger than anything you've had to face before? How do you do that when you're trying to hold your family together and you think it's falling apart? How do you do that when you're tempted to get revenge? How do you do that when you start to lose your health? How do you do that when there's no joy in your Christian life, either from reading your Bible or from going to church or from listening to sermons? And it all seems so dark and bleak and terrible. How do you keep going then? And how do you keep going when the people closest to you are hostile to your faith? And how do you keep going when you're frightened of dying? Now those are very real questions, aren't they? Well, I want you to know this morning that if Jesus Christ opens your eyes to see who he is and he causes you to follow him on the road, the road that leads to the cross, he'll not only pay for your salvation, but he will also give you all the grace that you need for your discipleship. That's the truth. The one who's enabled you to see is also able to help you walk with him. And one day, he'll bring all of us safely into his marvellous presence. And that's why Jesus says, come follow me, I'll forgive you, I'll sustain you, I'll deliver you. And I suspect that if Bartimaeus were with us this morning, he'd probably say two things. I think he would say, by the grace of God, I was helped to see who Jesus is. Not everybody does see who he is, 
but God enabled me to see who he is. And God enabled me to see his mission, which was to die on the cross. And again, not everybody sees that, amazingly. And he might go on to say, uh, I didn't get rich, uh, I never had any of the things you people have, but I did get him, and I did get salvation. And I was able to see that those gifts are more precious than anything else in this life. And they're worth far more, infinitely more, than the cost of discipleship. Because Jesus saves us and he makes us safe. And he strengthens us. And he does enable us to follow him on the road. And maybe... Bartimaeus would even echo the prayer of Paul in Ephesians 1, where Paul prays this. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened to know the hope and the inheritance that are in front of you. It would be great, wouldn't it, to see those things more clearly. And also today, this week, this month, and next year, and all the years to come, to have the power to follow. Well, let's pray and ask for God's help. Gracious God, we thank you for sending your Son, and we thank you for giving sight that we might see and appreciate and understand and value above all things this gift of salvation. May it be the privilege of everyone here this morning. And may we, like Bartimaeus, see not only who Jesus is and what he's come to do, but also follow him faithfully on the road. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.